Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Still going, Stanislas. Support over there from King and Stanislas left side of the box. Can he find a room for a shot? Gigi Stanislas has scored a third for Bournemouth. Squeezes it under Jordan Pickford. It's a huge moment with just over 10 minutes to go here. It's a third goal for Bournemouth, which gives them some clear water. Junior Stanislas, the scorer. The players don't know what's happening elsewhere. Bournemouth need a West Ham goal to change the picture completely. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name is Sam Davis and yesterday AFC Bournemouth were relegated from the Premier League. Those were words that I never really wanted to say on this podcast. However, when you look back at our performances, we simply haven't been good enough. Villa didn't lose at West Ham. Watford did at Arsenal, but that one-all draw meant that that extra point takes them onto 35. We ended up on 34. Great win against Everton and arguably we could have been more comfortable, maybe 4-1 or 5-1. Alas, it wasn't to be. You can look back at that very first match after Project Restart where Sheffield United should have scored. I mean, it did go in, but Hawkeye lost signal with the ball and VAR, despite the fact it could overrule it, didn't. That point has kept Villa in the Premier League. Absolute sickener. But let's not gloss over the fact that for the majority of the season, we have been pretty poor. In this podcast, there's no do you remember, we're going straight into an extended chat. This week, it's myself and I'm joined by Jeff Hayward and Neil Dawson. So... Jeff, Neil, it's not been a good weekend, has it, Jeff? Well, you could say that, but uh, first time we've won at Goodison, and so you know that was something. I think I think the thing I was most worried about was that we actually wouldn't do our job, and I was pleased to see that we put in a really good performance today. Ultimately, I think we all knew it was improbable particularly after that result that Villa got against Arsenal and with West Ham nothing left to play for um yeah you know it it was unlikely that we'd get a favor done for us in those circumstances but the most important thing was that we ended the season playing the football that I think we came in playing in the Premier League and that was heartening to see yeah, Neil. At what point were you resigned since Project Restart? You know, was there a certain match or moment where you thought, right, yeah, that's the nail in the coffin now, or did you still hope? Um, well, we had hope up until even after our game finished, didn't we? Because <laughs> yeah. so uh, I think so poor were all of the uh, 
all of the teams, um, including West Ham, really, um, from West Ham down, um, it, it turned out that we didn't really need many points at all, as I think we, uh, the three of us, had talked about before. I think I, so while never, while never convinced, the the bit that really the, the game that concerned me the most was Newcastle. Newcastle are a bang average side, um, as Watford proved, because I think it was Watford's only uh, only victory, wasn't it, on their on their run in, and they didn't just come here and nab a win as they'd done before. They came here and took us apart. Um, and it was at that point when you're watching an average side taking you apart that you fear, I think, that it wasn't going to work. That said, though, we because of how poor everyone else was, we hung in longer than we thought. So we, I was still I was still hoping up until the last seconds of the West Ham game. For so long, Jeff, it was a case of we were matching the other team's results week after week, loss, loss, loss. And, uh, you know, there were just a couple of weeks where things went wrong for us and went right for the other sides. I mean, you know, Watford gave themselves a fighting chance with their two wins in a row. We gave ourselves a chance with, you know, the Leicester victory and then the point against Spurs. But ultimately, you know, whilst we were poor in Project Restart, it's the whole season and the table doesn't lie. We deserve to be in the relegation zone, don't we? Too many poor performances where we didn't play like we did today, where we didn't play. I mean, if you if you look at the the restart, I think starting slowly uh, against Palace, I think the Newcastle game was probably the worst performance of the season. Um, and then failing to get a point at Wolves. Um, those three games really killed any chance that we had. Having said that, you know, we went into that Saints game, win that game and we take control of the situation and we'd be all sitting here, smiles on our faces. And Sam Surridge scores in the last minute and that goal gets allowed and we're all sitting here with smiles on our faces, really tiny margins. I think the one thing that really stuck out for me in Project Restart was Aston Villa's first game where the goal line technology doesn't work and Sheffield United score, the goal is not given. That point that Villa got in that game, sees them over the line in that game yesterday. I mean, how small a margin is that, eh? Yeah. And, I, you know, on the free-for-all chat after the final whistle, a number of fans came on and I thought it would be a hot topic more than what it was. But, you know, we we barely scratched the surface, really, and people were just talking about how poor our season's been. So, you know, the football has been terrible. Um We've been playing formations that fans have been, you know, baffled by at times, relentlessly playing square pegs in round holes. Um, and it just hasn't been right. And Eddie Howe, Neil, he's looked shattered and almost broken at times. I mean, did you see some of those pre-match uh, match press uh, conferences he was doing? He just, he just didn't look himself at all. No, he had bags under his eyes. I think... Um, uh, uh, for me, I think the if you think of the spirit that the team had when they when they came up, they were an overperforming team, and I think they matched him in a lot of ways. They were humble, um, hardworking, uh, not showy. I think they had uh, j- just a team molded in a manager's personality. I think as those stalwarts have either retired or got got injured or you know be- become less effective, the players that he's brought in. For whatever reason, don't match. Um, don't they, were, they never really started to feel like an Eddie side, and yeah, you know, we've always been a side that has been capable capable of losing in this league because unless you're in the top six, um, that's always the case. But we, you know, invariably there weren't many games where we questioned desire or effort. But in the last um, eighteen months, I think tactically we've got it very wrong, um, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about later. But yeah, I, I just think the. The, this, the players themselves are—they're a different bunch in terms of morals and virtues than, than the, the lot that came up, and I think that was the bit that probably has bewildered and upset him in terms of how he has been this year. I just think he feels let down by them, um, and uh, and I think that's why we're seeing a different Eddie in press conferences. It's hugely frustrating, Jeff, isn't it, to see two different teams in Project Restart, the team that started it and then the team that ended it. Um, even in loss against Manchester City, the performance was so much better in that last 25 minutes. We were arguably the better side. We got more shots on goal than any other team has since Pep's been in the Premier League at the Etihad. And we finished with a flourish 
uh, versus Everton, 3-1, you know, dominated the game, were wasteful with our chances, arguably could have won 4 or 5-1, were fairly good defensively. And you look at that team and they seem a million miles away from that one that, you know, was in front of the nation on Saturday night against Crystal Palace where we were just dreadful. The inconsistency has been uh, baffling this season, which speaks, I think, to um, a lot of the problems within the squad. I'm sure a lot will come out. He's not had the right mix of players for whatever reason, as, as, as Neil talks about. You know, there's not the same squad desire that there was, certainly uh, from the, the players that, that we came up from the championship with. And I think that's been a problem. You know, they, you look at those players on the pitch. Well, we, we talked about it before the season started. That that squad is good enough to get 40-plus points, let alone 35, which is what we needed. And we should have been looking up and not looking down. The problem is that tactically, I think those players don't fit the tactics that Eddie wanted to play. And either they weren't willing to adapt to his tactics and play their hearts out because they didn't believe in the tactics or he wasn't willing to mould the players or find out what was the best 11. I mean, today, again, I mean, we played with a, a different 11 to the team that finished in or started even in the Southampton game. I, I don't think you could sit here now and say, what is our best 11? Yeah. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. Very true. So let's just talk about the game briefly then. Jeff, when you saw the team uh, come out at uh, three o'clock, you know, what were you thinking? Happy with it? I was happy. It was Gosling and Lerner in midfield. I thought that was the right combination. It spoke to me of a, an aggressive sort of pressing game, which is what we played. And um, I mean, I was happy to see Solanke on the pitch. I mean, that again sort of says it all really doesn't it you know well he's one he's one player who actually having scored those two goals against Leicester believes that he can score goals now mm. and and again he proved it today he scored a, a fine header you know his touch was you know a bit Solanke-ish but still you know he scored and and, and Callum whilst he, he can't fault his effort today and his hard running when he gets the chances he doesn't finish like Callum used to. And that's, again, part of the problem. Thought, I thought the energy level was absolutely spot on. You know, Everton wanted to pass it out from the back. They weren't really on their game and that was the way to press them. We got a lot of possession that first half. And we actually played with a much higher line at the back, which, again, suits us because it means that we're playing front football when we do win the ball and we won a lot of second balls. We're in their half straight away. We created so many chances winning, winning the ball so early in that first half. Mm, yeah, we did. And, you know, people say there are obviously we want to sort of represent people's views on Eddie Howe. And a lot of people are saying that they don't want him to go. Other people are saying that he should have gone earlier. And one particular tweeter said that Dom Solanke, after his two goals at Leicester, full of confidence, why didn't he start against Manchester City? And, oh, you know, why didn't he? Because shouldn't Eddie be playing the players that are you know, in the mood for it rather than, you know, defaulting to an out-of-form David Brooks every time, for example? Yeah, I think the... the uh, and, and that probably characterises the season because we have been... Uh, normally, we could all have a really good stab at picking an Eddie Howe side um, and occasionally he throws the odd surprise in. But in, I don't think I ever got the championship um, side uh, wrong. I think you could even work out when he was going to play Kermigan and Pittman in that side. <laughs> and I think since we've come up, the side has largely picked itself. But this year, um, I always think our, in a lot of games this this season, our best player has been the sub. Um, so, you know, how many times have we seen Harry Wilson start be awful, um, but come on and play well? And then similarly, similarly with Brooks, um, uh, Solanke's done well at times when he's come on, but not done so well when he started. Um, and I just think it, it's become such a difficult side to predict. I'd, I'd love to see the stats on how often we've kept a settled side. We had a little run at the start of the season when we won at Southampton and uh, I think we won a home game adjacent to that um, where we where, and then Solanke started in that in those games bizarrely, but where we where we did see a settled side. But in the main, there's just been so many poor performances and I think uncharacteristically for Eddie, he's he's thrown the baby out with the bathwater with all of those performances and gone with a very different side the next time. And I wonder if 
sometimes as a manager, you're better off saying, look, you've had a bad game, but we picked this side for a reason. We're going to give you another two games or three games to bet in. We've not betted any side in this year. We're going down, Sam, with four of the games that we've won this season being Manchester United, Chelsea and doing a double over Everton. And right. we're going down. Absolutely crazy. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, that that does speak volumes completely. And, and what we've said... Points against the bottom two. Yeah, I mean, two that's... Points out of, two points out of 12 against the bottom two. Absolutely criminal. And, you know, playing players out of position is something that Eddie's, you know, persisted with. But one of the players, I think, you know, when he is played out of his favoured position, but still does all right when his head's on, is Josh King. And I think... You know, there have been a number of occasions where he's done all right when he's playing on the wing. And I thought Jeff today, he had a really good game. And, you know, early doors, he was really positive, wasn't he? And he and he had their had their right back on toast. Yeah, he's he's when he's when he's up for it and he and we play the right game, when we do win the ball early and, and pass it in front of him, you know, he's he's an he must be a nightmare for a right back to play against because he's fast, he's strong, he's got some tricks as well. And he was really on it today, and his his link up play with uh, Solanke and Wilson I thought was excellent. His link up play with Rico I thought was really good, and you know that is the Josh King that we all know and uh, loved. Hmm. Yeah, loved. When, yeah. When we signed when we signed him, my my boss at the time was a Blackburn Rover season to older, and I remember Josh King played exceptionally well against us at Dean Court. And I think that's possibly why Eddie signed him. And I remember asking my boss, um, you know, we've only paid a million for him. He can't be that good. And my, and my, my boss said he'll be the best player you ever see one game before. And um, it's interesting because it, I think those words, you know, I've thought about those words a lot over the years and I've texted him every now and again. But I think that's probably, that is Josh King in a nutshell, isn't it? The best player you ever see one game before. Yeah, it is. So we were having a lot of joy, you know, we... Um, we were pressing Everton from the off, and you know, good news came through after about six minutes, Jeff, with um, with Arsenal taking the lead against Watford. And you know what? After the performance from our, you know Arsenal beating, uh, sorry, losing to Aston Villa, um, I thought there was going to be a reaction with the FA Cup with the, uh, on the following weekend. I knew that players would be vying for Arteta's attention, and whilst Arsenal were poor, Watford against Manchester City were poorer. And that was the match that was almost the least of my worries. Um, and then it was kind of like, will West Ham be able to score past a Villa side that might part the bus? And will Bournemouth do their bit? You know, we obviously did our bit like, in the end. But when you're hearing that Arsenal are going one and up, what's your emotions at that point? Well, I was, I was uh, texting various people, writing Watford off. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much from that 1-0 in fact it went 2-0 very quickly as well yeah, and yeah. you know they were gone and it was all about us and Villa and I think um, the phrase to rely on Arsenal is not one that is going to be one you feel 100% confident in is it and against Villa it was the Arsenal of flaky mm-hmm. uh, Wenger times and before that even and uh, just just that was the one result you know if you think about it for Villa to beat Arsenal 1-0 that was the key that, well, they that result they, should not have happened on they didn't register a shot on target Arsenal which is I mean it's criminal it's it, it, it was almost like Bournemouth were playing them it was uh it was shocking you can't you can't rely on Arsenal um you can't rely on VAR can you also Jeff and uh, Neil, um, obviously, we'll we'll get to your opinion on VAR and how you just cut and paste. Um, any of the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll press play very shortly, but Jeff, um, obviously, you know, there was that incident on uh, 12 minutes or so, so we had a David Brooks free kick which went into the wall, but the ball was sort of you know bobbling around and then the ball was armed it was on the elbow and to me it looked like a penalty from the off but you know you're thinking there's there might be a way whereby some rule somewhere will declare it not handball but but... well you know what it's because the referee gives it first up you know and and clearly when the replay is shown it supports the 
the uh, referee's decision because he does. You know, I mean, he does move his arm towards it when the ref doesn't give it. Which was later in that half, there was an, an equally dodgy-looking uh, yeah. uh, incident. You know, VAR supports the referee. So actually, I was quite happy that he gave it first up, and then thought, yeah, we're going to get that because clear penalty. I just think it's weird. You know, VAR basically it you know gives the referee uh, the benefit of the. Uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt. But surely if they're checking it, surely it should just be like, well, just call it right or wrong. But that's, you know, that's not how Sam, it works. But... Sam, Sam, come on. Come they're on. All... You've lived through this season. Come on. You know the it's rule. Historical conversation now, isn't it? Like, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but I'm sure there's going to be a matter of time where it will get brought into the championship. But anyway, obviously, Junior Stanislas not on the pitch. Um, so Josh King steps up and he does the job, scores, you know, 1-0 up. And at that point, there's just we're one goal away from things you know, going our way. Now, did you have half an eye on the West Ham Villa match, or did you just rely on Sky to provide you the updates of that, Jeff? I just relied on Sky. In fact, I, I switched over with ten minutes to go, mm. uh, and you know brought my usual sense of good luck to the season because then uh, Villa scored straight away, pretty much. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I I was hoping that, and and from the the um, the reports that I could see coming through, I was watching the BBC commentary on my phone. It was like that can only be a matter of time before West Ham score, mm. having all the ball, really unlucky. Yeah. Didn't work. And uh, it, it, Neil, how many times have you watched Bournemouth this season? And um, we've had the possession. And we've been camped in the opposition's half, and you see us squandering chance after chance, and you think, you know, well, we're going to go on to rue that. Um, mm. That's what I felt. I must admit, at one 0 up, and lo and behold, you know, like Everton you do equalise, albeit we make it two one you know, sort of moments later. But doesn't that sum up our season, whereby we've, you know, we have in some matches lots of possession, but yeah. just hasn't haven't got the attacking impetus to actually put it between the posts. Yeah, and we, we, we must have um, a, an alarming record as well of teams scoring against us with their first real chance, mm. which I guess is a product of when you look at, I think we've never conceded less than 60 goals, have we? So we defensively, we've never been strong. And I guess that's part of the product of that is that it's, you know, we, it's fairly easy or we make it fairly easy for teams to score with the first chance. I think because we've had such a long period camped in their half, we switch off defensively. And then when they go... They go quickly and they they cut through us and Premier League's full of good finishers. So when when Moise Keane scored, I thought, well, here we go yeah. again. Uh, and I think it's testament to the side that I think the you know in previous games that would have been it. We'd have lost two one three one. Um, but clearly the players he had out on the pitch today were the right players for thinking. No, we, we're going again. We're going again. And uh, so I think that you know that would be the bit. I don't think Eddie will take any comfort from yesterday's game at all. But uh, if he does, I think the comp, you know that that desire to get back in the game was there. Um, so had had West Ham scored, um, that desire would have made all the difference. Set piece deliveries is something that we've been doing fairly well from Jeff this season, and Rico I thought did pretty well at Manchester City in that he played that ball almost like Charlie Daniels used to, just around the corner. Um, Callum Wilson ran onto it and set up Brooks, and it was his. Uh, in a delivery that set up a guy. Now, I feel a bit sorry for Dom Solanke because it feels as though he's never been able to ce- um, to celebrate a goal properly because that first one against Leicester, the referee blows straight away and everyone's thinking, what's happening? As it happens, he sent a player off. With the second goal he scored against Leicester, he, he almost couldn't believe his luck when the ball sort of you know fell to him. And he did wheel away in like, celebration. But um, with this one, Jefferson Lerma celebrated it for him. <laughs> what was that all about? And, and the commentary gave it to Lerma, yeah. but actually, um, I thought when it, when it first went in, I thought that looked like Solanke got that touch. Um, and um, yeah, fantastic delivery. I think Diego Rico got plenty of practice against Southampton without getting it right. So delighted that he delivers the sort of ball that he can deliver. And it's fantastic. And either Lerma or Solanke could have scored. Solanke did, beautiful finish. And I think when we talk about players that could be really good for us next season, I've got high hopes for Solanke. I think he could be a 30-goal-a-season player for us in the Championship. I'll say Jeff it now. Hayward. There you go. Jeff Hayward. I, I can't I'm saying that. But I actually think he needs, a, he needs a season in the Championship to get the belief that actually, actually he is a good player, because he is. Mm. 
So, Neil, if you were Dean Smith at half time, obviously, you know, they they knew what the scores were. Bournemouth were two one up at Everton, Arsenal two or three nil up at home, you know, to Watford, you know, like Watford out the equation. What would you all what would you be doing? Would you be saying, right, let's just park the bus, hold on for the draw, or you know, go all out for the win? So I was still in shock at someone thinking Dominic Solanke's gonna score 30 goals. <laughs> you wait. Uh, you wait. <laughs> I think that um if I was Dean Smith, I think I think I think they did come out and play really well for the first sort of 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. So I think he would have said to them, if um West Ham don't look like they've got two goals in them, um, so if you can go out and uh, get a goal, then we can ha- we can hang on. And I think um I was alternating between the two games. I think uh, that was Villa's brightest patch, and then, uh, and I think that's exactly what he probably did say to them, and, and they went for it because I think the danger is, is always in a game where you have to potentially draw is that you go one nil down in the ninety second minute. So I think he would have said to the team, "Don't let's not try and put ourselves in that position. Let's go one nil up, and then we can concede. Let's not let's not concede when it's too late." As it turned out, it, it, it didn't happen for them. They didn't get the goal, um, but they, they they did in the end get the result that they needed. So, um, but they, in a kind of a roundabout way. Mm. Watford found their way back into it, Jeff, and three one, three two. In the meantime, yeah. we you know, we could have um, made it a little bit more comfortable. Callum Wilson had a shot on the turn early doors. I think it was a long ball over the top. It might have even been from Ramsdale, or maybe it was a defensive clearance. Not sure. He let it bounce, and then he he managed to you know, get the shot away. Good save from Pickford. And you know, later on into the game, we're looking at that you know pretty good sweeping move from Bournemouth, where the ball moved from right to left, and it found I think King who maybe set up Callum Wilson, and he just wants yeah. an extra touch, doesn't he? Yeah, that that that's Callum all over, really. At the last, uh, well, you could say this season, he's just not had that same instant conviction. When when you've got a, a striker top of his game, he hits that first time back of the net. You, you know, the defender doesn't even get a chance to make the challenge. And Leighton Baines, you know, made a made a great tackle. But I think I think um, the key substitution for us as well, we talk about what an impact subs have. I thought Stanislas, when he came on, was superb for us. Um, and it shows, again, what we've missed with him not being fit for so much this season. You know, what a quality player he is. And he he just, he has that um, that skill to play the, the one-touch game. He's got great awareness of space and where to make the pass, where to run. You know, it's just, it's just a joy to watch. So I think he was really important for us. And we, we again, you know, saw what Phil Billing can do when he just, he's got those annoying long legs that get in the way and break up any sort of attempted flow that the other team have. And I thought, again, those two subs, came on, made a bit of a difference. We were a bit more defensive, inviting Everton to have a bit more of a go. Uh, but we always had a chance as well going forwards because I think Everton were absolutely shocking at the back yeah. today. Yeah, and, you know, we uh, we made it 3-1 through Stanislas. Pickford probably will, felt, will feel as though he should have done better with that. But Stanislas, would you say that, uh, you know, it's possibly, Neil, his best spell at the club since Project Restart, would you say? Or have there been any, like, any other times? There was a spell... Or- yeah, I mean, he's been outstanding. He's been the best player since uh, since we started back. I don't, I don't think that's um, that, that was the hardest task to be the best player since we've been back. <laughs> it's definitely been him. Um, the, the there was a spell that I think rivaled it or maybe bettered it. Um, if I was much better at remembering dates, I'd tell you when it was. But it was round. There was a time where we started the season really well. Um, he was banging in. I think he banged in a. Uh, 30 yarder against Everton. Yeah, um, top left. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and uh, I remember thinking he's gone from being a player that couldn't get in the side in, when we were in the championship to he must surely be the first name on the team sheet. And I remember being absolutely devastated when he got injured because how, how pivotal he was. Since then, I've never felt that way about him until the last two months. And I think uh, I would imagine he'll stay. I don't think he's yeah. a, I don't think he's a side another Premier League team will take a chance on. And I think. Uh, he, you know, he could take the championship apart. Yeah, I'd like to think so. So, yeah, as you said, it was, you know, it was devastating when he got injured. It was devastating when we heard that uh, Aston Villa had scored, and it was, you know, Jack Grealish that had uh, 
you know, it did the damage, Jeff. And I mean, you don't know watch what, that. It, don't watch that goal because you'll you'll tear your hair out that Fabianski flipping missed it as well. Oh really? Oh, yeah. No. Well, I've I've seen it once, but um, I yeah, I haven't really watched. Much I thought initially, I thought initially that he'd he'd creamed it into the top corner, and actually it's right down the goalkeeper's throat, and Fabianski dives out of the way. It's like, what are you doing yeah. anyway? Uh, but you know what? I, I was kind of watching it in a very nonplussed mood really yesterday and I didn't I I was never too high never too low I suppose a bit like Eddie always is but I I sort of didn't you know we were never I don't know I just you know I just felt as though we would never really have a chance although you know fair enough we were sort of one goal in it and when they scored I I didn't actually feel too down but then the hope came back within a minute and West Ham equalised didn't they well, it was a, a fantastic vision from Grealish to deflect it over Pepperina from 20 yards yeah. out. Top corner, fantastic effort. Um, At that point, you're thinking, hang on, it's on again. Like, you know, yeah, here's but... the, you know, one goal. So, I mean, I was saying to, to a mate, actually, the other day, I said, you know, if we're relegated, would you even want to feel that moment of, yes, we are you know, above the dotted line, or would you rather not feel it at all? Um, and I still don't know. I mean, probably not at all, because then you have that moment of hope that you you know, wouldn't have had otherwise. Neil, would you have liked to have experienced that emotion, or would you just rather not have? I think I'd like to finish. I'd like to feel the emotion, because I think that's part of... I mean, I've been trying to explain this to my son, who's devastated, that, that you, need, you have to have days like this, because they make the days at Charlton what they are. So, you know, if you were Manchester United season ticket holder under Alex Ferguson, did you really, really get excited when they won any game bar um, the European Cup final? Because you just you just turn up and expect to win. And Liverpool fans have got this coming as well. Yeah. And I think the one of the beauties of supporting a team like Bournemouth is, you know, you, you have to have those away days at Carlisle where you drive back feeling utterly depressed because it makes the game at... Charlton, what it is, and you know that's what I've been trying to explain to to my son. So it wouldn't have bothered me. I quite like the adrenaline and the excitement of going of going across the line. Mm. What I was wondering if either of you both felt what I felt would have been a very very Bournemouth thing was I was expecting um, West Ham to go in front and then Watford to equalise in the ninety third minute. <laughs> yeah, did it, cross your, did it cross your mind? Because I thought that oh, would have been totally. Bournemouth all over. And it so, would have been the ultimate, wouldn't have it? Yeah. You know, payback for five years ago as well. So that was, that was what I was. So in a way, because that didn't happen, I was slightly relieved because I don't, I don't yeah. think I. Not that I'm looking forward to doing that bloody trip to Vicarage Road again for the about the 98th year in a row, but the. Um, but I was glad. I was glad in a way that that didn't happen. But no, it would have been nice. It would have been nice to to have a bit more of the adrenaline. How strange think, is it, Jeff, that the three teams that get promoted in 2015 are the three teams that go down this season? Weird, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, that is uh, really odd. I mean, obviously, Norwich went down straight away, didn't they, the first season anyway? But, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, I think, uh, I think Watford are a bit like... Um, a bit like a boulder that we're tied to. We can't ever yeah. escape. <laughs> you know, always dragging us down the hill of football quality. To their level. <laughs> I, I even park in the same bloody spot every time I go. Mm. Maybe, yeah, this um, be, maybe this year will be before crowds are allowed back and we can have a break. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. hopefully it'll be one of the early fixtures. But, yeah, so with that then, the final whistle went to Goodison Park and then two minutes later, um, that was that. And there are scenes of on Twitter being posted around of Eddie walking around the pitch at Goodison Park like on the phone, just on his own, you know, very, very solitary. And did you hear much of what he said at full time, Jeff, to Radio Solon or any of the interviews? I've heard a, I've heard a couple of interviews and um, it, it's very measured. Eddie, you know, he's not daft. He knows he knows that he's responsible in some way for what's happened. He knows that the squad has underperformed. And I think he's big enough to take it on the chin. Um, in fact, there was probably a little bit of relief, actually, that it's kind of over, I think, this season, because it's, it's been a, a, a horrendous season. And one of the uh, questions he was asked was, you know, you're a young manager. Um, 
you must have learned a lot this season and you've got the time to come back to which he replied that yes he had learned a lot but um it was far too early to decide what the next thing was going to be so you know he's making no commitments i think he's going to talk to the uh, the board see where things are at and um yeah you know i'm not quite sure what his decision will be i i actually think on balance 60 40 he'll probably stay i think Hmm. Neil, have you got any thoughts on this? Because I know there are rumours about the training ground and whether that's going to be either scaled down or abandoned because of what's happened. But certain people say that it's going to get built anyway. I mean, we've paid for the land, obviously. There's you know more things to pay for. But you know he wants to build a legacy at the club. And I can just imagine if something like that doesn't happen, he would probably walk. So it's in, the, it's in our interests to you know, build a legacy, but how easy is that going to be based on the fact that we're going to have to be tightening the purse strings a hell of a lot and plus we're going to be losing a number of our key players as well? Yeah, I mean, two two things. Firstly, on Eddie, it's it's probably the tightest call um, on a manager ever. I'd say I was... Pre- Jeff said he was 60-40 that he'll stay. I, I'm 55-45 that he'll go at the moment. I, I just think he... I don't know. You just get a sense. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at either decision. I just get a sense that possibly it's been just been a little bit too painful for him. And maybe he's not had support with some of the things he was expecting with stadiums and training pitches. And maybe he thinks he's potentially flogging a bit of a dead horse. If I was, if you were advising Eddie, you, you'd advise him to probably take a year and then come back and get hold of someone like a Sheffield Wednesday or someone that if you get them up, have got the ground and the resources and, uh, and can do it. So um, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Um, in terms of whether or not they'll build the training pitch, um, the one bit we don't really understand anymore since we've moved back out of community um, ownership is the financial position. And you you read lots of different things. Uh, I think there's a lot of players that we're going to have to get off the wage books quite quickly. I mean, I think we're still going to be paying five million for Rangers to play the foe. Um, which is madness. Why we agreed a two-year loan, I just I do not know because he would be perfect for us um, next year to come on as a sub. Um, I think Callum Wilson's on uh, 100 grand a week, um, which I think caused issues within the squad. Would be my guess as to yeah. as, as to you know amongst other players and maybe the spirits not so high as a result. We can't afford we cannot afford a striker on that level. So I think a lot of teams when they go down. They've got a decision to make. I think if you're a large club, like Newcastle did, you keep your, keep your best players, you keep your manager. They enticed Matt Ritchie with wages away from us as a Premier League club down to the Championship. And then they give it everything to come back up. I don't think we're in the position to do that. And I think, um, I think therefore, the training ground's also got to be in doubt. Do you think that, um, you know, Eddie's obviously in this you know, bubble that he's created. He's friends with all his mates who are the like fellow coaches um and he's so consumed with his day-to-day role within the club that it, it will probably take a while for him to step back and actually make a sensible decision because i can imagine now he's hurting quite a lot and he's quite a conscious guy as well neil he um he will be hurt by this and will be hurting for a long time and for the last a couple of months everyone has been saying you know the guy needs a holiday but you know can he afford to have too much time off given the fact that we've got a five or six week turnaround before the start of the next season it's like what what do we do sink or swim this is the this is a key thing so this is the one thing that makes it different so if i was if i was to err on jeff's side that he'll stay uh, these, there's a couple of factors, and you've you've mentioned them both. That the, the the first one is that he loves the club and he feels very responsible for it. And you, we're going to have to have a manager appointed within seven days if we are to have a hope next year, because Ooh. they've got to address the squad. I'd imagine there'll be a number of players leaving. I guess we'll come on and talk about that in a minute. Uh, so they've got. So I think if if his sense of responsibility kicks in, he might think this isn't an ordinary summer. Um, the second factor um, that makes me think on the 45 side of why he might stay is the fact that he has employed so many friends and anyone that's employed friends before or, or family in a business will know that 
your sense of responsibility is multiplied by the amount of those people because none of them will stay. None of them have got the pedigree to be at a championship or a Premier League club particularly, other than the fact that they were part of the, the Eddie bubble. So I would imagine if you brought in, say, a Lee Johnson or all the names that get bandied around should Eddie, Eddie leave, and particularly if you go abroad, they will, they will sweep the whole lot out. But and that's I think a huge that, change, isn't it? You know, you're talking through the youth change. like Warren Cummings, Brian Stock. They Brian might stay. Stryker. Yeah, they might well, stay. Yeah, but you're talking about the first team coaches, like first team coaches know, will all go yeah. because they always do. Even if even if um, we'd finished tenth this season and Eddie had got poached or gone off to do something else, they were still all would have gone because it's that's the nature of football. It always happens. There's one thing I'd like to add, actually, to that, Sam. I think those are all really good points. Um, but also, uh, Neil, you, Sam, me, we'd all love to manage our football club. And Eddie, deep down, is the closest we've got to the fan, the super fan who manages our club. And I think that is something that very, very few clubs really have. I mean... You know, you've got Lampard at Chelsea, which is Chelsea player through and through. And I think that kind of bond is really difficult to break unless something seismic happens. And I don't quite think this is that is seismic enough. I think it's it's massive what's happened to us that we went up and we spent five years in the Premier League. We actually competed above our punching above our weight for all five of those seasons. We punched above our weight at times this season, but not enough. And that's going to hurt. He knows that he's got the um, qualities to get a team to compete in the Premier League. I think he's going to learn from this and think, yeah, let's go back. Let's do it. And let's prove that we can, we're not a, a flash in the pan. We're not a wig and we're going to come back and we're going to do it again. But do, you think do, it, do it better and do it stronger. Do you think an individual result would have a bearing? I, you know, we finished on a high. Do you think that will be in any part of his mental equation when he's working out whether he wants to stay or not? Or do you think he'll take the bigger picture? I think he'll probably go back and think about Crystal Palace away. He'll probably think about Watford at home. He'll probably think about Norwich away. Um, you know, you, you, could, you could count all those nearly games. I mean, you can't count them on the fingers of one hand, two hands. You, you need like, you know... Yeah. 30 oh. fingers, pretty much, don't you? All the missed opportunities. Yeah, so got me from Norwich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think he'll, it will irritate him even more. And I think yeah. he, and he, and he basically came out and said that because he said it shows it showed what the what the team were capable of. I, I think he will be immensely immensely frustrated. But I think he's. I think whatever decision he makes, I think he knew before today. Mm. What come what may, so even if we stayed in the Premier League, yeah, I think he'd made a decision about whether or not he's staying or going before today. And you know what, it might suit him better if we offload a few of the expensive players, some of whom haven't performed, and we get some younger players in, he'll, he'll get to bring in some promising championship players. I mean, I, yeah, let we, we're going to have that discussion, I'm sure, soon, but I, I actually feel there are. Funnily enough, there are more pluses than minuses. Well, we'll talk about the players that we think will be retained. But firstly, let, let's just talk about um, what, you know, the high points of the Premier League, you know, because we had many. Um, Neil, what were your favourite memories of the five seasons that we had in the top flight? I think so. My first favourite memory was the win at West Ham because I think the four three because I thought that was a I, I really panicked after the first two games, even though one of them was Liverpool. Uh, would we ever score? Um, and uh, to take a team apart, playing the way that we played in League One, with yeah. fullbacks camped on the byline, um, was just fantastic to watch in a brilliant atmosphere in 38 degrees heat i mean you couldn't get you couldn't get any better um and uh, unless i'd had a solero uh the, um i loved uh, i think everyone would love the win over uh, liverpool but the draw at anfield um i was uh, fortunate enough to be at that game that that felt fantastic as well because that that just felt like us turning up to a european super club um, playing well, drawing, getting on the bus, going home. I mean, that moments like that make you feel like you're a Premier League club. 
Um, and so uh, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that as well. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, bizarrely, people keep picking out the games against Chelsea. Uh, I didn't like them as much because we just, we hit them on the break four, four times of the ones we won here. That I was, the games that meant more to me were the ones where we went at teams like Liverpool at Anfield and drew two all playing our way. And, and it will always be a regret to me that we stopped playing our way about about two years ago, really. But um, but yeah, they, they were the they were the three probably highlights for me. Did, Jeff, did you get a buzz from getting positive comments from friends and fellow supporters and reading what other fans and media pundits say about this Bournemouth brand of football? I remember in the first season uh, where we were struggling for points at one stage, we were being told by pundits like Martin Keown and Shearer and stuff, we need to be changing our style, but we didn't. We stuck with it. And then we ended up finishing relatively comfortably 16th next season, you know, ninth in the Premier League. I mean, you'd be having a, a joke and a laugh if you, if you think that we finished ninth, but we stuck to our, our, you know, philosophies or at least philosophies and we got a lot of praise from it. And I, you know, I must admit, I just loved you know, getting praise from friends about you. I mean, you know, like I'm playing or something, but they said, you know, you, your football is great and it has put Bournemouth on the worldwide footballing map, hasn't it? Yeah. We, we came up playing a style of football that definitely got us uh, attention, got us respect and got us results. Uh, uh, I think the the media is a fickle uh, animal um, and listening to some of the stuff that's been going around this week, you know, everybody's talking about, um, well, you know, we're a small club that can't, you know, only know how to play one way. And frankly, you know, if they've seen us the last two seasons, as Neil said, you know, we, we haven't been playing the one way that we ought to have been playing. Mm. And if anybody knows anything about us, that's been part of the issue. Um, so I, I think the media can be a bit kind of, you know, it's, it's, they're all about making a soundbite for one match. And, oh, yeah. and it, it, it just feels, uh, feels that those of us who've watched the journey, we've known, for some time that, that something's uh, not been right and we've not been able to fix it, sadly. Um, there are lots of lots of positives, you know, that we prove that we can play with League One players in the Premier League under a good coach and he made them better. And we've, um, we've, we've had some phenomenal results some great performances like, like Neil, you know, the, 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 the results for me that stand out are the ones where we got points away. You know, that, that draw we got at Old Trafford where Mark Pugh got the penalty by turning Phil Jones inside out and where we you know, we've got um, Tyrone Ming standing on Ibrahim Rich's head, you know, I love all that. And those, those are the memories for me that will, that will stand out aside from obviously being someone who's who's uh, who knows lots of Brighton people, to beat them five nil was something I'll never forget. And to be at that sort of game where we actually play like we can play and tear it into part, like the the four nil at Watford a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, you know, those kind of games. That I love sort it. Of performance, and mm. and that's what we've not had enough of this season, which has been depressing. I, I think actually the the Brighton analogy is quite important. Where Chris Hewton last season was renowned for not wanting to lose games and forgot how to actually flip in win games. And I think that's been part of our problem this season. The obsession about the defence has meant that we've forgotten to score. Do you think uh, there are there are often comparisons with Eddie Howe and Graham Potter? Do you think the same uh, scenario could you know fall at his feet whereby his team is struggling to attack? Because he seems to have the same sort of mindset with regards to how he fields his teams? Oh, I, I, I think it's a big issue for sort of teams from that lower half of the table down. You know, you, you begin to worry. The money is so important. You begin to worry about conceding goals um, that you, you you try and shut up shop and win 1-0 all the time and end up losing 1-0 all the time. We lost so many games by the odd goal this season. I, I lose track of how many it was, but... I'd say 15 of those 22 probably feels like we lost by the odd goal. Yeah. yeah. The unusual thing for us, which I think makes it a little bit more disappointing, is a lot of those smaller sides that have come up and uh, hung around like we did, uh, what tended to relegate them was that they their best players got pilfered away. Um, so I remember Swansea had that centre forward, didn't they, that 
scored loads of goals and Man City just swept, swept, swept in and took it. Yeah, no, yeah. What's uh, his name? Boney, yeah. Wilfred Boney. Oh, yeah, of course. Boney, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and you can see it with Fulham and Wigan and all, all of those sides that kind of hung around for a bit. Or anyone that was any good got taken away. We, we've not, we're the only player we've lost that we didn't want to lose was probably Matt Ritchie. And even he wasn't in the side um, much towards the end because I think Eddie worried about a little bit about his lack of pace. Um, so it, we had, you know, that, that side that stayed up comfortably last year, we kept, we kept those players and we added, we, uh, I mean, Max Denham gave, you know, 20 million for Solanke and uh, 12, 12 million for um, centre-half names, Mepham. Mepham. Uh, so we, you know, we kept a squad and added to that squad continually and, and then ended up getting relegated looking awful. And that, I think that's the bit. It, you could understand it had Callum Wilson gone and when he was on form and Josh King gone when he was on form and someone nabbed David Brooks. Then I think we'd all be sat here saying we just suffered like every little club does. But that's the bit that's baffling. We we kept all of our players. I am. Um, yeah, I've, you know, my... Sort of memories of the Premier League. I mean, the, the like even the first match against Villa when we walked out, I almost had tears in my eyes. And yeah, there have been several matches. The four 0 over Chelsea, I, I, you know, I really enjoyed. Uh, not many matches this season. Obviously, the Southampton one, but I feel a bit sh- stupid now with all the chants that we were all singing and you know criticising them for losing nine nil and. It's built them into, you know, Ralph's done a really good job there. And, you know, arguably they could be pushing for um, top 10 next season. I, I I won't miss VAR. I won't miss the patronising media sound bites from people like Adrian Durham on TalkSport and, you know, Chris Sutton, who, like you say, they're going on these kind of like monologues to basically get the hotlines flashing up. And, it, it, you know, some of the stuff they say, it, it it reminds me of an episode of I'm Alan Partridge where he's saying how to his Ukrainian wife about how bad prison is. And she said, well, you know, you told me prison was Kushti. And he said, well, like I was making a point about something else. And quite often they seem to make the same points, but, you know, depending on the team they're focusing on, it will, it will have a different kind of meaning. And I, you know, I, I really won't miss that. I won't, miss um the fact that we are not on kind of match of the day because i kind of want us to go under the radar again and sort of you know relearn that you know footballing style that you know made us so good in the championship and in the premier league in the in the early years jeff you were saying that um you know eddie did an amazing job at bringing league one players up to premier league quality now arguably we've got premier league quality players that are going to be in the championship albeit you know many of them will go but that surely it gives us some room for some optimism next season. Yeah, some of them. I think um, if we're going to look at the the spine of the team, I feel um, pretty good about. I think Ramsdale hopefully will stay quality goalkeeper. Um, Lloyd Kelly has proved in these nine games that he would have been a massive asset this season defensively. Um Great player. I think he's got a lot of potential. Jack Stacey, a lot of potential. Um, I think if we keep Stanislas, if we keep... Uh, not sure what's going to happen central midfield. Hopefully we'll keep Lewis Cook because um, I think he could be a great player for us in the Championship. And I think Stan- I think with Solanke and Surridge up front, you know, we've got a strike force that can do the business. Neil, who do you think we can retain? 32 goals, Solanke and Surridge will get. Two for Surridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's going to be really interesting because having a short window maybe works in our favour a little bit as well. Uh, I think there's some obvious ones that will go. Um, uh, I think uh, I think King will go. I think Wilson will go. Um, so uh, uh, I think they're obvious. The ones that are really intriguing for me are Lerma, Rico, Cook and Brooks, because they could equally go or equally stay. And obviously, I think I don't think we'll lose or keep all of them. Um, but they're probably the players that really make it. We've actually got a very good back four for the uh, for the championship, and we've got um, players like Gosling and Sermon, who I'm sure Sermon will sign a new contract now, who will who will be fine. Um, the player, but that that's probably a mid-table championship side. Um, so the ones that intrigue me are Lerma, Cook, 
Brooks and Rico because I think if they if they all stayed hypothetically, that's a top six championship side. How much do you think, Jeff, the off the pitch player issues uh, caused any friction this season with Fraser and Jordan Ibe? Obviously, we know Jordan Ibe's issues and then Fraser being the insolent little, well, whatever. I mean, people might say that he was justified now. I don't know. But do you think that contributed much to where we are now? Well, Jordan Ibe was such a fringe player. I mean, what what a waste of a talent because he could have actually been quite good this season. There were times in the previous season where you thought, you know what? He could be the game changer that we invested all that money in, um, but you know, he's, he's. I don't think he's got the right attitude, and I think he didn't deserve to get near the first team this season. Ryan Fraser, I'll be really interested to see where Ryan turns up. I, I struggle to see anyone above mid-table Premier League wanting him. So you know. Good luck at Crystal Palace, Ryan, if that's where you're going to end up. In terms of uh, the players that Neil was mentioning, the kind of maybes, how much do you reckon Eddie Howe, Neil, has got an influence over, you know, are they maybe waiting to see what he does? I think so. I think it's that, that's the next pivotal move. Um, I mean, ultimately, they've got a contract. And I don't think any of them are out of contract. I think you could... But maybe envisage some agents being phoned tonight with um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here type phone calls, uh, particularly maybe from Jefferson and Diego Rico, because obviously they have a whole other market that will be well aware of them. Um, and there'll be some mid to bottom table Spanish clubs that could well be looking for a ball winner or a left back. And this is these are the bits that we just we just don't understand. Maybe the fact they're going to have to go into quarantine for 14 days might help our case. But yeah. um, the uh so yeah, it's. I think they will. They will wait and see what Eddie's going to do. But ultimately, if you've got a contract and no one wants you, it doesn't matter whether you got Eddie out managing you or anyone. You, you you've got to turn up for training in three weeks' time and give it your all, haven't you? Yeah, I'd say Phil Billing is on his way because he needs to get relegated again next season to get three in a row, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's like having like having Miss Marple round for lunch, isn't it? Having Phil Philip Billing in your side. It's all going to go badly wrong. It's good intention, but it's all going to go badly wrong. <laughs> so, what are you um, what are you excited about in terms of the championship, Neil? Obviously, VAR is a big plus point, surely. No VAR. Yeah. No VAR. So that when the goal goes in, all we have to do is have a glance at the linesman before we leap around in utter euphoria, kissing strangers, rather than now, <laughs> rather than now, where we all think, oh. Uh, best not let myself go because I'm going to get doubly disappointed. So I'll just stand there like a lemon and wait for someone in a studio to decide whether or not I can get mildly excited. Mm. Um, so uh, that's that's the first thing. Um, I won't uh, I won't miss uh, some of the away games where you paying two hundred quid and you know you're going to lose four 0 and not have the ball. Uh, the, the beauty of the championship is you can win any game if you're on form. Uh, and teams regularly do. Um, and there's some... I'm a bit old-fashioned, and I quite like the grounds. So there's some great grounds like Hillsborough and, uh, you know, some of the some of the Knott's Forest cracking atmosphere. You know, and, and I, if you contrast those with some of the sort of more library, like going to, you know, the Etihad when the fans are all just munching on a sandwich as they demolish us, it's, you know, there's... There's a there's a lot to there's a lot to look forward to. It is a league that I keep trying to remind people that we were we fantasised about being in for 96 of our hundred years, didn't we? So let's let's just go there and enjoy it. Do you think we're um, Jeff? We're frantically searching for reasons to enjoy the championship. Do you know? Are we just trying to do that to mask our disappointment, or do you think you are you are actually excited? No, not at all. Actually, I, I am quite excited because we haven't been there for five years, so it'll be good to see what, it, what it's like. Uh, part of me is um, you know, excited to be going to grounds that we haven't been to for a while, and you know, there's some some great places. You know, I, I like going to the Majeski. I think that's a great place to watch yeah. football. Um, I think you know we'll see what happens in the playoffs, but Brentford is a is a again great great heritage of Bournemouth-Brentford games over the years, so looking forward to going there. And 
So Luton, I mean, I'm looking forward to going to Kenilworth Road again. I mean, I know in yeah. 2023 they move into Power Court or whatever it is, but, you know, going down the Oak Road, like loads of terraced houses, and all of a sudden, hang on, there's a football stadium, walking yeah. through someone's back garden in yeah. order to get into the away end. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can't wait for days like that. And then a whole, a whole side of a pitch that's just greenhouses. Exactly. To top it all, we don't have to play Leeds either. No, we don't. No, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, there are reasons to, you know, to be positive. And on the podcast over the next sort of uh, weeks, I mean, it's not months, it'll be weeks. We're going to be, um, obviously, it's going to be fast moving, you know, whatever happens. So uh, we will try to, you know, provide reaction as much as we can and on the YouTube channel. But um, for now, Neil, thank you very much for coming on. Really appreciate your views. No, good to be here. Look, we're all smiling now. We were miserable as sin. <laughs> let's, hope that, let's hope everyone that listens goes on the same journey we've gone on in the last hour from dejection to elation. Yeah, agreed. Hope so. And Jeff, um, it's been a pleasure. Um, we sort of knew the writing was on the wall. I said on the free-for-all uh, straight after the game on the video there, I said that me and you recorded a podcast on October the 20th and it was entitled, Are We As Good As We Think We Are? And that was basically our thoughts of the dire, but somehow we were, you know, masquerading as a top half Premier League side. But it just, you know, you know, ultimately the right thing happened and we got relegated. Our our form wasn't good enough. And we can look at those individual moments like Hawkeye failing or whatever, but when push comes to shove, um, you know, the Premier League will probably benefit from having Villa in there. And uh, we were in there for five years. We provided some great memories, but you know, ultimately... Um, we're probably a team they don't really want in that division, aren't they? Well, yeah, and and like Neil said, you know, if he's going around euphorically kissing strangers, you know, we're all romantics in football, right? And <laughs> ultimately, we did not deserve to stay up this season. We all know that. So there we go. That was myself, Neil Dawson and Jeff Hayward. Still very raw, but somehow ending up not happy. But we feel okay. We were resigned to our fate a long time ago, to be honest. But there is light at the end of the tunnel in that, well, celebrating goals in a VAR-less way, it's going to be all right. And as Neil said there, some cracking grounds in the championship too. It's not great in terms of what's going to happen to the club. We're going to lose some players that we've absolutely adored and chanted their names. And, you know, what's going to happen to Eddie? We're, we're not really sure over that. But AFC Bournemouth will do it all again. And back of the net, of course, will be there throughout. So there we go. That is episode 91. We're not done on the podcast. There's going to be more episodes coming up uh, in the next uh, weeks and I would say months. But no, I mean, it literally is weeks until the football season starts again. When fans are going to be back, we're not too sure. We'll keep you abreast of everything that is going on and that you know what, there's going to be a lot going on off the pitch. Really tons of stories are emanating about the training ground about certain players what's going to happen to eddie i mean you name it there'll be stories flying out uh, left right and center and if you subscribe to our podcast on youtube as well go to youtube.com slash afcb podcast and uh, we will certainly be putting the videos out now one of the things we're also doing is a funnel fundraiser when i say funnel we mean tony funnel ex-AFC Bournemouth striker from the early 80s and we've done we've been doing the funnel forecast on videos like every Thursday or Friday with Tony or Mr Tiggs as you may know him where they've been predicting the outcomes of the Premier League matches now we 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 we, we sort of ended by trying to earn a little bit of money for charity but didn't really work so we've gone all out and we're doing a funnel fundraiser and um 
what's going to happen the forest home hospice it's it's in pool and it's a charity close to the heart of tony funnel and yeah we're going to be raising money for it and we're going to be giving away prizes so if you enter minimum is two pound to enter but the more you put in the more chances you have to win and some of the prizes include a back of the net bottle opener stroke coaster yeah you want one of them also uh there well there's there's a £20 AFC Bournemouth Superstore voucher. We're going to be doing that. Um, there's going to be restaurant uh, meals as well that we're giving away to. We'll confirm all the prizes. But also a round of golf himself with Tony Funnel, but also with Harry Redknapp. Fancy winning that? Well, just go to afcbpodcast.com slash fundraiser. That'll take you straight to the Just Giving page. That's afcbpodcast.com slash fundraiser. And you can donate, see what you can win. And yeah, if you're in the hat, brilliant. Maybe you can be playing a round of golf with Harry Redknapp. If you've been enjoying what you've been listening to and watching over on the YouTube channel, well... If you want to buy us a coffee, you can. Uh, It's not an actual coffee. It's just a monetary donation, the equivalent price. You can buy one, two, three, four, five, whatever you want. That's afcbpodcast.com slash coffee. We're not going to stop doing what we're doing because in the championship, the coverage, well, it's going to go down. So it's even more important for people like us to carry on what we're doing. So if you like what we're doing, um, just buy us a coffee afcbpodcast.com slash coffee or for free you can leave us a review we'd really appreciate it just pop onto your podcast app and uh, leave some kind words if you can but for now that has been the 2019-20 Premier League season and it sees Bournemouth relegated horrible you've been listening to Back of the Net the AFC Bournemouth podcast Support over there from King and Stanislas left side of the box. Can he find a room for a shot? Jesus Stanislas has scored a third for Bournemouth. Squeezes it under Jordan Pickford. It's a huge moment with just over 10 minutes to go here. It's a third goal for Bournemouth, which gives them some clear water. Junior Stanislas, the scorer. The players don't know what's happening elsewhere. Bournemouth need a West Ham goal to change the picture completely. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.